This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Is Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast with me, David Moore, the usual suspects of Andrew Greasley and Tom Ward, plus a very special guest, Mr. Dara McAntony. He is the current owner and chairman of Peterborough United FC, the owner of multiple successful businesses around the world, and often gives football fans a great insight to the ownership via his social media channels. How are you doing, Dara? Evening. Let's change that bio. I used to own a football club. I used to own successful businesses. And because of this pandemic, we're definitely going to have to change that bio soon enough. <laughs> I'm all right, lads. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Dara. And like you say, yeah, it is a very, very interesting times at the moment. And sure. ironically, we've called you at 3 p.m. kickoff time in Florida. We're 8 p.m. Yeah. in the UK. You have. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, on Saturday mornings, I watch the games on iFollow at 10 a.m. my time. So, in one way, yeah, it's great. You get it out of the way. If you win, it's early. If you lose, your day's fucked because obviously, you know, you've got a whole day still ahead of you. Excuse my language again, lad. Sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, different times, time zones for Florida. You mentioned there about the football and, you know, you took over Peterborough. That was one of the youngest chairmen at the time, I think, 30 years old. What attracted you to ownership in a football club and, and also Peterborough? Yeah, when I was negotiating the deal to buy in, I was 29. And I think there's a, when I ended up being the chairman, there was a couple of other, you know, pretenders floating around. But I think they were daddy's boys, you know, like Bolton clubs and stuff. But so you could definitely put me in the, in the young bracket of owning my own club. But uh, what it was, was I, I, I sold a lot of houses, did really well. And, you know, I had a successful real estate business across the world in about 20 countries, about 90 offices. And I, I, every year I used to make a list of targets. What did I want to do? You know, was it going to buy a new car, a new house, a new wife? You know, hopefully my missus is listening to this. And I am. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I, she's I, a Sky Blues Extra podcast yeah. listener just yet. But. No, no. So I, I, I put on the list, you know, sports franchise of some sorts, you know, 
big football fan, big Liverpool fan. I lived in Spain most of my life, so I never really got to go to many games. I've been to a couple of Merseyside derbies flying over from Spain. Um, so I wanted to buy a football club, uh, as it matters, it seems. And at the time, uh, call it arrogant, stupid, naive. You know, it was a hobby. It was like, I'm going to buy a football club. I'm going to have some fun with it. You know, I'm going to ride this bad boy all the way to the Premier League. You know, <laughs> wishful thinking. Um, and that was kind of what got me engaged in wanting to buy a football club. And, and obviously, I'm a planner. So I put a plan in motion. And I used a couple of people I knew to go out and broker and speak to people in England. I wanted to buy a club on its arse. I wanted to buy a club, like, right down the bottom. Because I thought part of the fun if I could apply my ideology and my model the way I wanted to do things to this club, I could see it rise through the leagues. And that would be, a, you know, a lot of entertainment and a lot of fun. So, yeah. I, you know, I landed on Peterborough um, at the time. So, yeah, it was, um, and here we are 15 years later and a lot more grey hairs later and a lot, a good few million less. <laughs> I listen to your podcast quite regularly and I know that you had Barry Fry on this week, or is it last yeah. week? And yeah. he's a real character, isn't he, Dara? Um, have you got Brilliant. any funny stories about Baza? Baz is brilliant, you know, um, from the day, I remember when I met him and I was trying to, you know, I met him, he took me around the club and, and listen, I was, I was sold. The minute I walked out onto the pitch, I was sold. You know, you're like a fanboy and you're like, oh, geez, I, I need this to happen. And I remember I'd flown in from Spain. I spent two days in London, drove down and met with Barry, the directors, got all the figures, following down. I'm, I'm a quick mover. Be like when I buy a player, I want that to happen now. Mm. So the following day, I put an offer in, you know, based on what he told me he wanted for the club. And all I remember getting back from Barry was an email, and, and the email said, it must be April Fool's Day, go fuck yourself. Honest as always. Yeah, yeah, no, it was like to a fault. And uh, he, he's like a second dad to me. We've been yeah. together now 15 years. Um, I have so much love for him and respect. Um, everyone sees him as this kind of character in football, and oh, it's Baza Fry, and... You know, his intelligence of the game, his contacts, how he's helped me implement my young and hungry policy I brought in a long time ago and to run the club. He's picked me up when I've been down. Um, you know, I'm that typical football fan where you lose a football game, it's like the end of the world. I want to talk about that nowadays. But, you know, you win a game, you're on top. Yeah, he'd always keep me level-headed. Um, and look, we've had rooks and rows over the years. Of course you do. And the greatest compliment I can pay him is, is that I get a screaming row at him. I could call him under the names under the sun. And an hour later, he'll ring me and be like, how's it going? What's happening? And it's like, it never happened. Uh, and they're yeah. the best relationships to have. And, uh, you know, I was speaking to him just before on this podcast, actually, just about a player and a contract and an option. So, you know, for Barry, life goes on. And if you heard that podcast, he's locked up. He's 73. And his life's about football. And if I can't give him football or if he hasn't got football, God help us, you know. So uh, I'm gutted for him and, and many of the people in, in his age bracket who are away from their loved ones and, and, and can't get to see the beautiful game. Yeah, there's not that many characters in the game like Barry these days, is there? There isn't. There isn't. There isn't. He, is, he is, look, Baz is brilliant. He's not perfect, and he'll tell you that himself. Yeah. We go pre-season training in the summer, lads. So I usually take the team to Portugal, Spain, wherever it might be. And... The minute we arrive in, you like you tell right off the coach, go on pack. Players are going to train. Let's get your sport, your kit on, your shorts, your t-shirt. Get down and watch training. It's part of excitement. Mm. And I'll get down there in the golf buggy and I'll drive down. I'm sat there and I'll be sitting in the corner, probably smoking a fag, watching them all training and puking their guts out in the heat. <laughs> and all of, a, all of a sudden, everybody on the pitch will stop because they'll see this naked figure approach. 
and his basically Baza in his underpants and nothing else with a massive cigar in his hand because he is just a sun lover. He's a vulture for the sun. The minute he gets, you'll see him in the stadium strip when he can. You know, you go find him and, and precede the players. They'll all give him a cheer. And that's just classic Barry Fry. He's just that. Do you know what? I hope he lives forever because uh, to lose somebody like him from the game of football, well, wow, he, he, he's brilliant. He's brilliant for the game. And then sort of moving on to the, the football itself, what, what do you make of the standard of football in League One? Um, it's a mixed bag. Um, I, you know, if you're tired, look, some teams want to play the right way and some teams are very physical. And, and, and there's no perfect science because you'll see promotions by teams that have a certain style and a way of playing and it works for them. And then you'll have the, let's just say the, the Coventries of the world who are probably similar to us that we like to play. Yeah, yeah we, we've, yes, we've got the best target man outside the Premier League, in my opinion, and Ivan Tony. But it doesn't mean you're going to you're going to get a sore neck watching Peterborough play. It's we like to play out from the back, and we we like to be that team that has four or five hundred passes a game, you know, and try and get you know as much possession as possible. Coventry, one of the best teams we've played this year, and we had the two-two game at our place, and um, because Mark Robbins, that's the way he likes to play. And I guess for us speaking. And we've got our own motive to say that we prefer that style of football because it's been variably successful for both clubs mm. so far this season. Whereas other fans will be eating out on, on that old style, up in the air, physical, and, you know, just blood and guts, thunder football. Are you talking about Wickham, Dara? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you, 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 you know, look, to be fair, and I have to say this, you can talk about Wickham and other clubs and whatever else, I would never, ever judge a team or a manager based on the style because you, what's that saying in life? You know, you're dealt behind your dealt, you know, and you, you've only got certain ingredients you can cook with. You can only make so much out of the meal. And there are certain managers lower down the pyramid who've got budgets that are like, you know, less than a night out in Vegas for me. So they've got to go out and they've got to make the most of that. And that's what they do. And I don't mean Wickham in that, by the way, because they've spent a lot this year. Um, so I would never ever tar a club with, oh, that's ugly football. I, I can't watch that. And they shouldn't win promotions if they play long. That's a load of bullshit. You know, at the end yeah, of the there's day, different ways to get out of a league, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, correct, correct. Whoever wins promote. Look, when you were in League Two and you had a real shit couple of years and you went down, you would have taken, you know, the famous Cambridge United kicked the ball in the corners for long throws if it meant you won League Two. Just yeah. to get out of League mm-hmm. Two. At the end of the day, there's no perfect science to football, is there? No. <laughs> when you win a football game, you don't care if it's come off the back of someone's arse or and gone in or whatever, do you? Lads, we, we've both watched enough games where we've dominated, we've battered teams. I mean, we played Wimbledon away, and I, I it was the first time I cried. I put up that tweet about resigning if we didn't hit the top six, and it was back yeah, in the I remember that. <laughs> and we, we were on a horrible run, and I remember, I think we had 18 shots in the last 25 minutes against AFC Wimbledon, and AFC Wimbledon won the game 1-0. I swear to God, it was a murder. The ref, you know, the referee should have called it off. You know, ten minutes to go, we battered them. And I remember getting in the car. There was a tear in my eye because just nothing was going right at the time. Do you know what I mean? With injuries and issues and everything else, and I was just like, this just can't be the way it is. And that's unfortunately the emotion when you own a football club, just like being a fan. And fair play to Wimbledon. At the end of the day, they're not going to remember that game for being battered by Peterborough. They're going to remember. Yeah, the exactly that. And just to dig into a little bit this season, a little bit more. Um, Sure. At the start of the campaign, who did you think were sort of favourites to go up? And has that changed, like, obviously, as the season has gone on? And, and no, perhaps who have you been I, most impressed with? I, I, I look at the table, and I think it's a fair reflection of what I thought at the start of the season. I did think Sunderland, if they got, if they got ahead of steam, they could have run away with the league. I didn't think it was going to be a league that was going to have a winner by 20 points. 
you know what I mean? I, I always felt there was going to be your Rotherhams, your Coventrys, your Portsmouths. I thought Fleetwood were going to be really strong because they had a great recruiting yeah. campaign. Yeah. I, thought we'd, I thought we'd be up there. I had Gillingham down as an outside bet because I know Evans is a crafty manager. Um, so w- when I look at the top 12, you know, Wickham are probably the biggest surprise. Um, but then again, I also knew Wickham had extended their budget because they had a new owner and he pumped a bit of money in so they were going to have a right go and they've got a really good manager. So um, I- I'm not shocked by anybody in the top 12 of League One this year. I don't know about you guys, but I'm definitely not shocked by it. You know, I think at the same time, like you mentioned, there's a lot of different clubs there that have got different styles of play. And, and you know, we played Portsmouth, for example, and they play some lovely football at, at times. But when they came to our place, we found it really, really hard to break them down. You know, they're a really solid outfit. Um, yeah. That's just yeah. one club. You know, there's many. Uh, we went away to Rotherham and got an absolute battering. We probably oh, didn't help ourselves massively. Oh. But at the same oh. time, they sort of didn't give Rot- you... Rotherham are that team. They are just, they are, I mean, talk about men. I mean, they are strong, physical beasts. I remember we got battered 4-0, I think, away at their place. We got sent off, players sent off. And I remember, I think they scored from four set pieces. They're just a big, strong, fit outfit. And and you always knew they were going to be up there because they'd come down from the championship, you know? Yeah, exactly. You you know, Portsmouth, we played them just before. That was our last game before the pandemic and we beat them 2-0. And I have to say, it was a really, really, I was surprised how comfortable a win it was. But I know Portsmouth are a really good side on their day. So Sunderland, we battered Sunderland 3-0. I, I, I just think it's one of them leagues. You know, Coventry haven't lost a lot of games this season. They've, they've drawn a lot of games. They've been really, really consistent. And, and listen, kudos to Robbins, what he's done. I mean, Christ, you're not even playing at home. So yeah. to be top of the table and, and, and doing what he's done, he really is manager of the year in League One for me. Moving on to agents, Dara. Um, do you... <laughs> Yeah, do you think they have much too much power over players these days? They did. Um, yeah. I, th- I think coronavirus is going to put pay for that. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think with the reset and the readjustment coming in the game, I think if I were an agent, I'd probably feel worse than being an owner. Um, yeah. you, you know, right about now. There's some really good agents in the game. I've worked with some. And then yeah. there's some really shit, shit agents in the game who are like part-time merchants and, you know, they're in it for that quick five grand on a, on a, on a, on a player. Yeah. So... I, I can't tar all agents with the same brush because there's some really professional outfits and I've dealt with a lot of them over the years and some of the big transfers. So I would always recommend to any player, you know, as you grow up, make sure you pick the right agent for the right reason. You don't be in a hurry to make money because the money will come if you're good enough. And make sure the agent's making the, the decisions for you or the choices for you for the right reasons. And I hate when a player says to me, well, I need to speak to my agent or I need to speak to whatever else. Look, be a man. At the end of the day, if you don't like, you know, what the club's saying to you, just say, look, I don't like that, so I'm going to go speak to my agent. But don't say, oh, that looks good to me. I'm going to sign. I'll speak to my agent. And then the agent gets, you know, bundles in and starts messing it up. So there's no perfect science to the agent's world. I've dealt with them for 15 years. and They know me quite well. I'd say quite a few of them have me up on a dartboard in their office. Um, but, but, but then again, quite a few of them love doing business with me because we always pay. And a lot of clubs can shirk agents and mess them about. And the other thing my club always represents for agents is, is that if their player does the business, they're going to get a massive move. We also signed uh, Matty Godden from you as well. Um, and he's done re- yeah, and he's done really well for us, Dara. Was it a hard decision uh, to let him go? No, it was really easy, and I'll tell you why. I mean, I, I love Matty. He's, he's great. And, and he mm. went through a really, really hard time at the end of last season, going into pre-season with the death of his mum. Uh, yeah. Matty was really close to his mother. And he's such a lovely young man, you know. He's like that footballer. You go, I wouldn't mind him marrying my daughter because he's not your stereotypical <laughs> footballer. You know, he's just right that, hair as well. You know, 
Yeah, yeah, phenomenal. Listen, love Goddard's. And and we were in where were we pre-season? We were in uh, we were in Spain somewhere. I can't even remember. My mind scrambled with all of this pandemic nonsense. So we were in uh, we were in Spain somewhere, a La Manga. And yeah. Goddard's was out it's there. Because you were in the bar with Barry Fry all, all the pre-season. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> no, and, and no. To be fair, I wasn't. But I remember <laughs> um, Goddard's. Goddard's was having a hard time with what was going on with his mom. Mm-hmm. We had Ivan Tony. We'd done a deal for Mo Isa. With a young 16, 17 year old kid coming through, and you, you like young players at Coventry, and this kid is, is going to be as good as anything that we've got, Ricky J. Jones. So we were really stacked in the striker department, and, and the manager wanted to t- turn Dembele, that was a winger, into a striker. So mm-hmm. Suddenly we were looking at having four strikers, and the problem we'd seen from the season before, we weren't sure that Goddard's could play with Ivan Tony. So it was basically, you know, one plus one equal three. So it was, it was a situation where could you have a player at a standard of Matt Godden sat on the bench all the time? He didn't want to sit in the bench at his age. You know, Matty's not a young striker anymore for a club like us. We usually buy them young. I think Matty was 26, 27. Um, so we, we, we'd had offers and bids and we knew Matty was ready to go if the right deal came along. I think he knew he was going to be first choice. So he wanted to get the right move and be the main man. And you can't stop that. So... When Coventry came in and a couple of other clubs came in, in fairness, Coventry were really, really good to deal with. You know, I think Robin saw Matty as his number one signing in the summer. You'd raised a few quid from selling some players and, and you had money to spend. So we did a really good deal. We got a profit on what we paid Stephen as the year before. Uh, we got a great promotion bonus, which is, uh, I think, is six figures. So once Coventry go up, we're going to... Med- so all these Coventry fans saying, McAnthony, stop trying to stop Coventry getting promoted. Trust <laughs> me, I have no problem with Coventry getting promoted. Yeah? You know, that's, that's money in the bank for us, by the way. Definitely. So uh, yeah, yeah, as long as we go up with it. But uh, no, so, so for me, and, and what was classy was, when he got his move, I think after he finished his medical and signed, he rang me. And I was at the PW United training ground. He just rang me and said, look, Chairman, thank you for everything. Thank you for not stopping a deal. And, you know, I've got a really good move. And I said, great, what was the contract? And it was a really good contract for him. And I think for him and his missus and, and, and family, it was just the right move. You mentioned, obviously, just about the agents. Just going back to that, and you've obviously been in the game for a long time. How's that sure. sort of changed in terms of contracts and players' contracts over the years that you've been involved? Obviously, we now there's a lot of different, seems to be players' bonuses and, you know, reserve yeah. parking spots and all sorts on contracts these days. No, no, other players ask for flight tickets for family, other, you know, all sorts of things. But look, has it changed? Not so much. We, Peter has always been that club that we, we, we don't pay cheap and we don't pay silly. What, we always, what I've always tried to do, and I've done this from my real estate days where my sales guys were very incentivized, I've built in a lot of incentives into contracts. So you would have an Ivan Tony who's not, he's paid well, but he will also have a, a, an appearance uh, bonus. He will have a goals bonus. I think he gets 30 grand if he wins the golden boot. You know, there's always bonuses built in, there's promotion bonuses. So what I'm saying to the players is, go and do the business, go and earn the money. And agents appreciate that. And of course, when you start negotiating, they'll come in high and they'll try and get silly and we'll slap them down, go behave. And they'll get a slapped arse and hopefully you come to some common sense and do a deal. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. Just moving on to to, um, the Sky Blues, obviously it's been well documented that we've had, you know, our troubles off the pitch. Um, obviously, you just mentioned the stadium stuff there. Obviously, the recent accounts that came out suggested things were looking up a little bit. What's your sort of view on on the Sky Blues, as, as you know, from a kind of business point of view? I think um, an absolute sleeping giant. I think if anyone who wanted to have you know a bit of fun with football and looked to obviously make a few quid, and that, that's what happens when you get these people who come in and buy football clubs. If you're buying a Coventry, if you get a good deal on it, it's a club with so much potential. 
you know, you get to the championship, what are you going to get if you had your own stadium? 18 to 25,000 fans? Um, you know, sky's the limit, you know, mm. so, so to speak, you know, punt intended. But I just think there it's a club that has been hibernating for a few years, underperforming, has had all the administration problems, the ground problems. But put all that to the side, it's a diamond in the rough that once you mm. shine it, it's, it's probably worth a good few quid and could probably get a run at the Premier League with the right owners and the right money. Now, look, I don't know your owner. I don't know her personally. I don't know all the issues. So I'm not going to slay her and slag her. And a lot of people want you to do that. No, of course. What, she, what, yeah. what, she, what she's finally come to the realisation with the people running the club is they're running in a sensible way. They're almost running it the way we run our club. In other words, they sell a player every year to fund the budget. You know, they, they try and create young talent that they can sell and then fund a promotion run. So they're actually running the club really responsibly now. Mm. The only part they haven't really got right, obviously, is the stadium. But they've got the manager right. They've got the, the transfer model right. You know, they seem to have got the finances under control where the club's self, you know, sustainable. So if they get the stadium bit right, you know, you're ready to take off. And, and you know, I love the Rico Arena. You know, when we talk about building our new stadium, you know, our conversations with the, with the stadium people was like, look, the Rico Arena you know, is a, is a fabulous place. And, and we wouldn't mind something like that, you know, as a stadium. And you did just touch there on Mark Robbins. You, you know, you say they've got sort of the right man in the in the right place. Sure. What do you think he's done, you know, this so far this season at Coventry, the sort of job he's done under probably, you know, he has spent some money, a bit of a tight budget. Sure. And, and you also mentioned playing away from home. Sure. I think, I think what he has is he's got the nucleus of players that have been together for a couple of years. I think he's yeah. got a younger squad. I think younger players for managers are a lot easier to handle. I think he's got the right blend. There's no greed probably amongst the Coventry players. They're all pretty much on similar contracts. So, there's, you know, that, that stuff that can happen on training grounds isn't happening at Coventry. I think he's been in the game so long now because he's, well, he's in his 50s um, or probably older, I don't know. But he's been around now so long in the game. That experience now, sometimes that makes you a better manager. You know, he's, he's had many clubs come before. He's had, he's had big clubs. He's had small clubs to manage. I think, you know, dropping to League Two, having to rebuild from there. I think he's got the trust of the owners. So I think Coventry's in a really, really good place with Mark Robbins. I think your only fear would be if a bigger club, and, and this is what we all fear, came calling and took him. Yeah, of course. And obviously, we signed a new contract with Robbins, not us personally. That would sure. be nice. But um that was from interest from Sunderland. I think the fans really appreciated that because it gave fans saying that he wants to be here for a long period. He wants to see it through. And I, I, he's I don't think he would have left. I don't think he would have left. And, and that's no disrespect to Sunderland. But I just, if Sunderland were in the championship top 10, would he have left? Yes. But I don't think he would have left with what he has at the moment in League One. You know, when I, when I say you'd have to be worried, let's say a Bristol City call tomorrow because Lee Johnson got another job. You know, and Bristol yeah. City are top, top five championship and suddenly they can pay Mark Robbins 800 grand a year as opposed to 200 grand a year or whatever he might be on the League One. Sure. You, can under, you can understand as human beings that's very, very difficult to turn down, right? So that, that's, that's always the worry. When you've got like a, a period of you're doing well, everything's great in the world and suddenly shit, the phone call comes in, somebody wants your manager. So yeah. they're those things you, you, you know, the better you do, the harder to navigate and keep people. So I guess that's the reality of football, isn't it? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, and has, has there been times for you where you've like really not wanted to let someone go or you've had that oh, yeah. really dis- difficult decision? And I suppose, how how do you manage that with a, a manager as it, well? Because it, they, they it don't difficult. always see. Yeah, it was difficult. Back in the, you know, when Darren was here the first time and um, we, we won like multiple promotions, you know, West Brom, I think it was Wigan, there was four clubs that wanted them. And I was constantly reading it in the papers and, you know, the stories, the gossip and talking to them and, then he'd say, yeah. well, you know, do you mind if I speak to them? And then you feel like you've been cheated on, but, you know, your missus wants to go and have dinner with someone else <laughs> and, you know, entertain that. So, you know, I, and I was a bit younger at the time, so I guess I probably didn't handle it as well as I handle it now. If somebody came in now, the first thing I'd say to the gaffer is, look, I, I, I know this business inside out. I'm not going to try and stop you going further up the pyramid. So why don't you go and have that conversation and come and talk to me when you're finished and yeah. tell me your thoughts. And I think that's the best way to handle it because if you really go against somebody and stop them from going further up, like a player, like a manager, I think it backfires on you. So I, I, I'm not naive enough to know that my manager wins a promotion again and we get to the championship and Peterborough's top 10. Bigger clubs are going to come calling. That's just the nature of the game, guys. Brushed on agents earlier, Dara. Um, what's your best signing, do you think? And also, what was your worst signing? Oh, lads, this is... <laughs> There's so many great signings and so many shite signings. Trust me, it's uh, yeah. you know I've been in the game 15 years. I mean, I've, we you, you've seen what we've done in the market. I think I've produced over 50 million in transfer sales in the in you know the last 12 years. So mm. um, you know you know I do know a good transfer when I see one. And I've always said that without being too arrogant and blowing my own trumpet. But um, as regards to bad signings, of course we've all had them. Look. We wouldn't be in League One and League Two and whatever else. We hadn't made bad signings. I mean, <laughs> again, I said this earlier. There's no perfect science. You try and get it right. For every five, for every five good signings, you're probably going to have two pretty bad ones. And even the ones you think are good, because the player could end up with personal problems. He becomes a, yeah. a, a gambling addict. He becomes a drug addict. He becomes a whoremonger. You know, you just you don't know the personality all the time that people develop. Footballers are human beings. You know, they're, they're going to make the mistakes we all make. They're going to do things that you're not going to see coming. You're going to yeah. sign a 20-year-old who looks like he's going to be a world beater. And by the time he's 22, you know, he, he couldn't be anything further from being a world beater. So that's just the game itself. So I, I've had a few, you know, let's just say bad ones in my time. Has there been one that has been a particular favourite, though? One that you've seen that's blossomed that, you know, oh, perhaps yeah. you... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, look, I mean, Dwight Gale was one... I'd seen him in pre-season. He scored a hat-trick pre-season for Dagenham. Um, I wanted him then. I knew Dagenham wouldn't sell him. I badgered Barry to go and watch him. I badgered the manager. and They finally went and watched him. I think we bought him in the November. We were in the championship. And he was he was basically pretty much League 2, non-league player. And everyone's probably thinking, how can you buy a player that lower down to save you from the championship relegation? Uh, I just knew in my bones this player was going to be top, top class. And um, I, I pushed the transfer. And it cost me 500 grand. But the beauty about that deal was it was 500 grand over four years. So we were paying like 10 grand a month. And we yes. bought him in the, the, the January became the permanent deal. By the time he left five months later, I'd only paid Dagenham 50 odd grand out of that transfer fee and we got a six million pound deal. When wow. you turn 50 grand into six million, boys, that's a champagne moment. Big time. Las Vegas. 
Yeah. That's five <laughs> months, baby. And I've listen, I've lost a few quid at the roulette tables. <laughs> but it's, it's not, not that kind of turnaround, you know. So listen, there's some great deals and there's some bad deals. So it, 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 that's just the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Peterborough is always, from the outside in, always looked like, you know, a very good community club doing a lot to, to help the community. And I know you personally have given, you know, 250 grand to Helping Hands, which I know is an organisation to help disabled people in the area. And I know you also do a lot of stuff around sort of ticket deals for, for young and old people. Um, you know, how important is that community spirit in the modern game? Community's massive. Uh, charity's massive when you can give back. Um, I'm, I'm more preferable to a lot of cancer charities because my mom died of cancer when you know I was only 28 and it had a big impact on my life so anything I, can, anything I can do to help I'll help I don't like again blowing the trumpet over it because I think you give to give you don't give to get publicity or whatever else and a lot sure. of the people you give to they want to talk about it publicly because then it helps them get even more you know money kind of thing so but I'm always kind of like well no I don't really want to do interviews just you know there's the money but I think when you're in a position where you can do something, you'll always do something. And I think every football club, and this is why it's so important about current events, they're such a pillar and such an important part of the community. The stuff our community program does, our foundation for like unemployed people, kids who are, you know, who've had a yeah. horrible upbringing, you know, people who've been abused, all that kind of stuff, it goes untold. And, and so many football clubs do it. So many footballers do stuff like that as well. And it's never really the stuff you read about in the press. So. Football club really is the lifeblood of most communities. It's it's so important. And and that's why I guess it hurts for you guys that, you know, you're not going to the Rico on a Saturday anymore. You know, you're going yeah. to another club stadium and, and it must be absolutely devastating to be in that position as much as you're doing really well. When you have to get the train past Coventry, it does. Oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. But um, yeah, exactly. And you also touched on the fact that, you know, at the moment there's a lot of people will be be struggling because you know it's their Saturday it's something that they spend not just a lot of money on but they invest a lot of time um, oh. and obviously with the the recent pandemic uh, awful, awful virus really you know and it, it swept across yeah. the UK oh. and it's, it's affected hundreds of thousands oh. Um, oh. but it's also had serious implications on the football season Guys. we've heard from Richard Keyes Ron yeah. Martin the South End chairman saying that the league should sort of be declared void uh, and <laughs> void <laughs> I'm wondering why Ron was shouting that out. <laughs> God Almighty, huh? Good old Ron. And look, here, here's why I'm with, uh, you know, you talk about fans and, and, and the mental side of, the, of, of things. We all have, you know, whether it's physical ailment, there's also a mental ailment. And the one thing I've learned through this pandemic, I've always been that super positive person, but even yeah. I've struggled. I've said it Yeah, you life. need that release. Yeah, you need that release. And, and I've spoke to so many of our older fan base who were like in their 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, to wish them happy birthday, check how they are. And I chat to quite a few of them every week. And I'm so gutted for them. They can't see their grandkids, can't see their family. Some of them are on their own, they're widows or widowers. And now they can't even get fucking football. And, you know, and, and, and now from not being able to watch football for that little hope of maybe watching an eye follow, they're not even going to get that. And, you know, according to the papers. And I'm, I'm yeah. gutted because there's so many people who will get a lift. I know Danny Rose was having a go and saying, I'm not here to lift people's spirits or whatever the quote was, but the lift it would give so many people to see sport back on, it, it would be massive, particularly when people are kind of locked up for the next two months. And, and I just think, it, yeah, it, it'd be great for the human spirit. It would be great for those older fans who are the most vulnerable from this horrible virus, you know, that we could at least give them some football uh, to watch. So, you know, that for me is just... Oh, I would love football back in. As for Ron and uh, who, who's the other person you mentioned? Richard Keyes, the Coventry supporter. 
Yeah, he's, he's driven me mad because, yeah, I mean, Keezy on out, and mm, he follows me on Twitter, and he's been screaming since day one about cancel the Premier League, cancel this, cancel this, cancel that, and I'm just not a cancel person. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I understand what the world's going through, yeah, but I think, you know, eventually normality has to come back, and, um, you know, this virus is like something none of us have ever seen, and um, mm-hmm. we know we know who it hits, we know those most vulnerable are, are, are dying from it, yeah. and... You know, but but like I said earlier, you, you can chew gum and walk at the same time. So you can have both conversations, not just about the health, but you can talk about the economy. And what this is going to do to people economically in the months and years to pass when this finally does bugger off and, and go, and whether that's through a vaccine or it dies away, whatever, it's horrendous what's going to happen to people, their careers, their houses, their jobs, their kids' education. It's a bigger picture here. And everyone just wants to say, stay yeah, safe, stay locked up, and you're not allowed to talk about football, and you're not allowed to talk about work, and you're not allowed to talk about your three children's education and the fact that they haven't been in school for three months. Well, I'm sorry. I'm a father. I'm an employer. Uh, I own homes. I own businesses. I have a responsibility to hundreds of people, so I have to have the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, when I see the, the action being taken by some countries who are shutting everyone down, and there is no clear path and there's just a maybe we'll do this in June and maybe we'll do this in July. I, I can't live like that, guys. And football's a bit like that at the moment. So I've been shouting from day one that when it's possible, we should get back to playing when it's possible. Mm. And I don't want to avoid it. I don't want Coventry not getting promoted. Look, Coventry deserves to be promoted. And, you know, I've been arguing all along that if the Premier League and Championship get back to playing, why can't League One and League Two get back to playing? And if we can do it in 28 days, why can't it be done in 28 days? We've got players who are cooped up, who've spent months indoors, who want to get out and do what they're paid to do. And I understand there's a few that have been out there saying, well, now's not the time and did it, did it, did it. But if they weren't getting paid tomorrow, I'd want to know if their attitude would change, right? So, um, you, you know, because everyone has got mouths to feed and everyone's got bills to pay. And I've always been at that thing that the longer football goes on without being on is the longer we get away from it being back. And I would hate for that to happen. I would hate to see a lot of clubs go out of business, guys. How is the recent news, obviously, that's obviously not been confirmed yet, that the EFL are looking to maybe send up a points-per-game kind of system that would see Peterborough miss out? How is that affecting you personally? It's it's affecting me immensely because of, Mm. I, you know... Um, what am I meant to do, guys? Am I meant to now ring all my players, my managers, asking me every day when he's back training and saying, there's no point in coming back training. Um, we're putting, you know, we're putting a big lock up in the training ground in the stadium and just closing down for now. And by the way, I'm going to just now, you know, permanently let go of 200 plus employees because if I'm not allowed end this season and there's no new season on the horizon and there's no promise, because what if they say, well, we're going to, stop this season and everyone gets points per games and promise we'll be back in September. What's the yeah. stop from saying in August, September, well, we're not back till June, till January. So yeah. I, 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 I can't live like that and I can't run a business like that and I can't run a football club like that, neither can my partners. Mm. So that, that's not fair on us. Uh, and, and the point's been made, we're talking about nine games here, we're talking about the integrity of our league, we're talking about nobody knows the price we'll pay if we do go down the route of points per game and the, 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 the legal stuff, all the stuff that comes from it. What we're trying to say is, is that, you know, if it can be done, if we're seeing it in Germany and Italy and other countries are getting back, you know, I saw today was the Czech Republic are starting next week playing. If all these other countries can do it, and we know the, the, the risks involved, we know, you know, the majority of footballers, there's no risk to their health, as long as they don't live with somebody who's vulnerable, that they can go, you know, the doctors, I've spoken to three different doctors, they're, they're, they're in the fresh air, their lungs are expanding, they're out playing outside. It, it's like, mm. bar living with someone vulnerable, there's such a minimal risk. And I'd say to you guys, in the last three months, guys, 
And there's, a, there's probably over a million athletes and sports people worldwide. How many of them have died from coronavirus since the start? An honest question. Not honest question. So, so all the headlines about manslaughter and murder and deaths and, you know, give us mm. a fucking you know, there are, there are real people at risk in the front lines. There are real people course, yeah. going to work every day. And we're saying that 22 blokes playing football out in the open air, you know, at a certain age where, where there's a minimal risk is, is a big issue. I'm not quite understanding it. So I, I really am gutted. I'll be devastated if they call time on the league. I know for you guys it's fine because you'll go up. Um, yeah, so I understand, I understand yeah. that. I get yeah. that. I get the emotion involved in that. Um, you know, the Roller Ramona was out the other day saying stop the season. And yeah. I understand that. I'd argue there that, well, you know, Coventry are a good bit ahead. Rotherham are three points clear of like six clubs. So, yeah, I, I understand why you want to stop the season right now. Um, and, and not to mention, I see the running that they've got as well. So, you know, yeah. the, the reality is there's, there's, no, there's no perfect answer here. No. But the answer for me would be if we're allowed to play and we're given guidance on how to do it, why can't we do it? Originally, the, the thing for me was that like you mentioned, we don't really know when anything's going to be back. You know, we don't know when in yeah. England cinemas are going to be open, for example, swimming pools, gyms. We, we just don't yeah. have the answers. We've got the stage uh, that, you know, the, the, the PM set out recently, but it doesn't guarantee any dates because you can't. It's, it's all you, like, reliant you, on you, a... You've got, you got your colour code system. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I, I mean, you've got a lot of maybes and ifs and buts and, and I can't live like that either. Like, I, I know here we've got what's called a phased approach. So right now, Florida's in phase one. So I've had a coffee with my, you know, my friend this week, talking business in a cafe. I've had my hair cut. My wife's been to the salon. I'm going for dinner with my friends tomorrow in a restaurant that has a 25% capacity. And I know with phase two that's going to happen in two weeks' time, I'll be able to take my kids to the cinema. And so I, I, I have my phased planning, which I like. I, I, I would hate my governor to turn around and my president and say, maybe you can do this in June and maybe you can do this in July. I don't think we can live our lives like that, guys. Mm, and I don't yeah. think millions of people should have to live like that. And, you know, I've always been, I've always said it, I think eventually a lot of countries are going to go down that route that you've seen other countries started to take, like Sweden and Switzerland now, where they're going to do a phased herd immunity whilst protecting the most vulnerable because you just can't live life on, you might be able to do this in a month, you might be able to do this in three months. We, we, we can't operate like that as a society. I'm sorry, that's just my opinion. Yeah, it's, yeah, the, it's the uncertainty that, that kills you in the end, doesn't it? And especially when it comes to football as well. 100%. 100%. And that's it, guys. So it's kind of like you got all these owners arguing about playing behind closed doors. Well, guess what, guys? You might be told to play behind closed doors anyway in August and September. So yeah. what's the fucking difference playing behind closed doors now and then? It could easily eat in all the way up to September, October, November even. Um, and then if you don't, if you didn't kick it off till sort of November and you've scrapped this season, you've got 40-something-odd games then to fit in between, what, November and the next the next May. So, yes, well, possibly yeah, it could not, be done. Not, not but... only that, you'll you have had six, eight months of us running a football club with no possibility of income. Yeah. Um, so what, what's the point? Um, so, you know, the, the lack of guidance is really frustrating. I get everyone's agendas are driving everyone mad. I'm pissing people off on Twitter with my agenda. Other owners are pissing other people off. I, I get that. There's no perfect answer. I always say to people, you can come at me with your opinions, just try and do them in the right way. Um, at, the, at the end of the day, I've got to fight for my football club. I've got to fight for every employee I've got because I'm going to have to let a lot of them go if, if I can't get my football club back playing. And all I'm trying to say is, what's the difference of playing nine games behind closed doors middle end of June and during July as opposed to a new season, end of August, September behind closed doors? 
What what is the difference? Where, you know, what everyone talks about the red, the R, and the this and that, whatever else. But really, when you look at football behind closed doors in that environment, where, where is the danger? So again, I'm not getting the argument of when they're saying, "Well, they can't afford to play these nine games behind closed doors." Well, can't they? Uh, why can't they? How much would it cost to run a football uh, game behind closed doors? Does anyone know the figure? How can they try out statements like they can't afford to do it? You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. What kind of relationship have you got with Rip Parry? I've got a good one. I spoke to him two weeks ago. Um, You know, everyone knows in the Football League I'm an aggressive type of guy. Mm. They all know my character and my personality, but they also know that I'm salt of the earth and I I say it how it is. And and they have to respect my opinion because I've been in the game 15 years. I understand people might not like the opinion, but I've been around. I know Gary Neville's opinion seems to carry weight, but he's been a a (laughs) part-time owner of a Football League club for five minutes. So, you, you know, and I understand he's played at the top, but with all due respect, when you've owned the club for over a decade and you've been in the game for a long time like that, then, you, you know, your opinion should count. And yeah. um, that's not a dig at him. But what I'm trying to say there is, is that I speak everyone's to Everyone's welcome. Yeah. Everyone's welcome. And, and, you know, I had the Sunderland CEO ring me yesterday. I was speaking for an hour. I spoke to the Fleetwood uh, owner. You know, you, you have conversations with people. It's really important to converse and talk about what's going on because we don't, we don't want to be railroaded here, guys. We, yeah. we've, invest, we've invested fortunes in, in our season and people want to railroad us into, well, that's it, it's done. And by the way, because of everything else in the world, it's, it, you're irrelevant. Everything you've yeah. done is irrelevant. And that's yeah. basically what they're going to say. You're irrelevant. Yeah, that, that does feel very difficult because like, we completely understand. I'm sure we don't need to reiterate how, how awful you know, the, the virus is, but it, like we all have also mentioned at some point, normality will have to... Um, we'll have to start, but there's nothing more normal than, um, you know, football and life without it and clubs that are are possibly going to really, really, you know, financially suffer in the lower leagues. Um, You know, I look at sort of non-league teams and, uh, and there's just no, the only income is, is the people coming through the doors and you just really concerned that once that kicks off. Well, we're done. I mean, I'm telling you now, the amount of clubs that if there's no football, you know, by August, September, no plan. I, I, I'm not sure many clubs are going to even last to then. You know, speaking to some of the CEOs yesterday, some clubs have got like 50 grand in the bank. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm not sure, you know, you, you, you know, that's why I want us to get back playing. Because I feel if we get back playing and we get momentum build up and we can get momentum. And even if we don't have fans at games, but we can build up some sort of eye follow momentum. Yeah, exactly. We're paying our players to sit at home, at least get them to play, give some sort of enjoyment. We can sell kits, we can sell merchandise, we can, we can bring income in somehow. You know, but the longer we don't play, the longer it's the, the, the house is locked up, you know, the foundations start to crumble. So, you know, that, that's why I'm arguing for football, regardless whether we're sixth or we're first or we're second or we're fourth bottom, you know, we have a season to finish. And, you know, are you, are you telling me we're coming back for a new season in October, but hang on a second, guys, by Christmas, we might call it off again if it blows up with the alleged second wave. I'm just, yeah. can, we, can, we, can we live like that and run our businesses and lives like that? Uh, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you this evening to get an insight not only into football ownership but obviously into some very very strange times um, at present and hopefully you know we can resume and, and normality will will continue at, at some point and uh, where where it can but it's been great to hear your thoughts like I say especially uh, your stance. Pleasure. 
Listen, and, an absolute pleasure. And, and, and look, we want everyone to stay safe and nobody should lose their life from a virus like this. So we've got to do our best on that, you know. But like I said to you, there's two conversations to everything in life. And I just want to wish the best to all the Sky Blue fans. And, you know, if there is justice, you'll definitely get promoted because you are top of the league for a reason. And I just want us back playing football. And I would love that game that we still have to play to play. Because I think that's a 3-3 three, three or a 4-4. Four, four. And, uh, yeah. you know, that. can you imagine, listen to your voice right now, it sounds like you've got like a porno mag next to you. I mean, that, that's, ex- that's exactly <laughs> what we, we, we live for moments like that. Even Thinking of that, that BMU like that. scissor kick, Dara. Uh, absolutely. So, listen, <laughs> all, all the best, boys. And thank you very much for having me on. Thanks. And uh, Sky Blues Extra followers, don't forget you can join in with the conversation. All you need to do is tweet us with the hashtag Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra Podcast. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.